morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 77 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. And I'm Clarice Lockery. Aman is gone. No, he's not. He's He's been very busy this week, so he's he's having a gap. Yes. I was ill last week. I swear to God, when are we going to reunite again? Because I'm away next week, aren't I? At this live Bye. podcast that you should all come down to on September 15th. Get your tickets and you can see all three of us in person. The power of that. All three of us reunited. That was a wonderful segue. <laughs> well done. You don't it's even know how I did that. I was like... I enjoyed it a lot. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> and we've got Chope Derusu also in town. And we have giveaways. Basically, you know how much stuff that we get sent. <laughs> so we're going to be like, yes. hey, how about have some Thor guitar picks? <laughs> <laughs> you could get that. Do you want Thor guitar picks? That could be yours, among other things that we get sent and we get too much stuff and we want to share the love, but also see you in person. Please, um, can we throw them into the audience like we're <laughs> a rock band on tour? Yeah, but we also might be a health and safety risk. I mean, imagine getting a pick to the eye and then suddenly we get sued. We don't make any money off this podcast, guys. Don't sue us. We will gently lob them. We will gently lob them. But with a rock and roll attitude yeah. to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this week, George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing, Dreams of Love Between a Woman and a Magical Gin. Ralph Fiennes and Jessica Chastain bring death and white privilege to the Moroccan desert in John Michael McDonough's The Forgiven. And Clarice chats to Alexandra Anger and Monica Bavez, the team behind all those uncanny prosthetics in David Cronenberg's new body horror, Crimes of the Future. Plus, in our hot take, we delve into the first two episodes of Prime Video's The Lord of the Rings. Go along. The Rings of Power. Sure, it can take the ring to Mordor, but does it know the way? Does it? Uh... Uh, reference <laughs> i'm actually very excited to talk about lord of the rings rings of power me i mean me too i'm gonna see how many references i can drop <laughs> into our day. <laughs> um what, what what how have you been how have you been this week clarice have you been keeping up with she hulk yes yes um i sort of enjoyed the new episode i because they announced the Megan the the Stallion thing like ages ago, and also wasn't that the most anticlimactical? No, because they were like Megan the Stallion is is joining the MCU. Oh my god! And I thought she was gonna play like a superhero, and I was very excited. And then yeah, the cameo was like it was cute, but it was kind of underwhelming. Mm. And I don't know if it was as funny as it could have been because it was just a bit like Megan the Stallion's famous <laughs> but, but also there are some people who can do cameos of themselves and are funny but that wasn't yeah. really like no no yeah. shade to Megan the Stallion you're a great rapper but like not everyone is a great actress or an actor or can do that sort of thing and I thought it was like okay yeah I mean I thought she was funny with what she was given but she was literally on screen for like yeah. 30 seconds yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been reading uh, the original comic books that they, they're based on. Well, I've been reading a lot of She-Hulk this week. Um, and one of them, because obviously it's based on Dan Slott's, like, run. But it was interesting to see the yes. differences about, like, how in this series it's about her, they want her to be She-Hulk, right? They're like, we want She-Hulk. 
But in the comic books, it's actually Jen Walters loves being She-Hulk more than she loves being Jen Walters. And she loves, like, sleeping around and all that type of stuff. And it's actually they want Jen Walters because She-Hulk's, like, too much of a superhero, which was interesting. I wondered they saw it as, like, we don't want this person to think that having, like, (laughs) having the sports scars and being, like, the kind of, like, slutty kind of behavior is like the aspirational thing i don't know it's interesting to see how that flips yeah it changes the dynamic a lot i mean i i do find it interesting what they've done with it and how you know it kind of like the obsession with she hulk is sort of a nice parallel to the insecurity that like women feel when they get in high positions going do i just get this because i'm a woman like I, i kind of that's one of the the like feminist commentary parts of She-Hulk that I like more than than other things because it's a little more subtle and, yeah. and it's obvious but it's not spelled out. So I do quite I do quite like that. Yeah, I think it's in the in the in the comic like the version here is like Jen Walters used to be quite didn't really live a life. She was quite a loner, and it was like oh I can be She-Hulk and be this like person, and it's so much better than being me. Like in the way she prefers to be that person. Like she's betting male models. And she has parties, Very... partying all the time. And, like, I kind of like the fact that they flipped it around. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's very Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love the party. Some fear, some, some fear too much. <laughs> but I think it's, like... But it was interesting as well, because I was reading, like, the original stuff, and, like, there's a line in it um, where they're throwing out things about, oh, is it true? You did this, you did that. And she's leaving, like, the high-security prison... It's like, is it true that you got your powers in a mafia hit? And it's like, yes, that's the actual original continuity. That's what actually happens. Oh. Basically, she's like a prosecutor and like she's, I don't know, some mafia guy and they try to, she gets shot. And so then Bruce gives her a blood transfusion. Oh. That's how, it, that's yeah, mafia hit gone wrong. Yeah, that's how she gets her powers. Oh, yeah, because they haven't explained what that thing was. I'm guessing they will. What thing? The big spaceship. Yeah, no, that was like a week. Yeah, but I grabbed thought... <laughs> the spaceship. <laughs> they forgot about it, yeah. and no one investigate. No one's followed up on this. The big giant spaceship. Yeah, it's interesting as I well. They do normal. that thing where, like, like they don't break the fourth wall, and it's like, hey, we're not going to be just cameos. And that's like, that's one thing that kind of does a little bit annoy me. It's like, don't mm. make a joke about it. it's not going to be all cameos. This is my show, and then you're just going to fill it with cameos because it feels like. It just feels like, okay, acknowledging that you've got so many cameos does not take away the fact that you have so many cameos. Yes. Yeah, it is a little bit trying to have its cake and eat it. And yeah, and it's like not quite self-knowing enough to be do like a Deadpool sort of like hypocritical self-aware thing i don't know yeah because obviously with deadpool it's like going back to taking the piss out of his form of like form incarnation exactly that's the thing and and the mcu would never do that the mcu would never like take the piss out of the mcu so it's it's not able to push as far as it could yeah but yeah again it's the kind of thing of like i'm i'm enjoying it but and i like the concept a lot I wish they'd pushed it more. I wish, yeah, 
Yeah. I think I think they could have gone further with it or like made it funnier or weirder or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was quite I'm enjoying the court cases. I love a legal drama. I love Dally Mobile. So like yes. for me I'm like, give me more court <laughs> cases. And the Megan Destalling one, to be fair, that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah. That elf I did that like elf that whatever it was. It was amazing. <laughs> Thor's but it's like Thor's speeches do not inspirational speeches are not admissible in court <laughs> that's good yeah if, if more of that just really like a, a new court case every week and it just gets sillier and sillier yes yes and maybe we'll get more of that yeah absolutely okay should we should we crack on then so um yes. right well we've got interviews first but before we introduce that here is a trailer for crimes of the future We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that, so that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. Mm. you know what it is yes crimes of the future uh which i love the synopsis for this as the human species adapts to a synthetic environment the body undergoes new transformations and mutations accompanied by his partner celebrity performance artist soul tensor showcases the metamorphosis of his organs Meanwhile, a mysterious group tries to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. Written and directed by the David the Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> it stars Viggo Mortensen, Lea Seydoux, Kristen Stewart, Don McKellar, and Scott Speedman. Uh, so, little teaser for next week, but I am obsessed with this movie. I loved it. It's perfect. <laughs> and it was so fun and such a pleasure to talk to Alexandra Anger and Monica Perez who are the effects artists who created all those super Cronenbergian uh, prosthetics Earman if anyone's seen a photo of Earman yet they created Earman and we talked about that uh, we talked about uh, what's it? what it's like to go up to Viggo Mortensen and be like we've been we made your torso and we've been touching it for weeks <laughs> and uh what was especially lovely is a lot of the chat is just them talking about how nice david cronenberg is and that made me very happy so uh listen now let's go hello how's it going good thanks <laughs> how are you I'm good, thanks. Um, thank you so much for joining me to chat about Crimes of the Future today. I wanted to start off by saying uh, congratulations on your Saturn Award nomination. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a completely like blindsided surprise. We just sort of got an email being like, congratulations. And we were like, oh. Well, we sort of both turned to each other and we're like, for what? <laughs> and then we sort of like read further in the thing and we're like, oh, right oh, on. Okay. <laughs> Well, look, I was not surprised because I think your work on this film is incredible. And I guess this feels like a slightly silly question to start with. But I wondered, you know, within the makeup FX community, working with David Cronenberg, is that like, that's got to be like working with Michelangelo, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> totally. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, the funny part is that we first met him as an actor on a Canadian horror show that he had a, a role in. So our introduction to him was very um, sort of like not in the normal route of how you would end up working with David Cronenberg. <laughs> so and because our background is not particularly horror centric in terms of our interests, it was kind of like realizing much further into the process how big a deal it was. And because the timeline was so short, we just kind of jumped right in, started working. And then as other people's excitement started to build when they were like, oh, where are you going? Oh, Grace, what for? Oh, a David Cronenberg thing. And it wasn't until then that it sort of hit that we were like, oh my God, we should probably be more terrified of what we're <laughs> about to embark on. But we kind of just dove in and then the realization hit us much further down the road. Yeah. Which I, uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm thankful that it was like, there was not enough time to overthink it. Yeah. And he's so wonderful that there, that there was certainly no pressure from his end. He's just lovely and collaborative and and was very uh, open to having us on the, on the project, even when we were like, really? And he was like, <laughs> yeah, come on now. You know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I, I know you worked on him first on, on the short, the death of David Cronenberg. So what was that experience like? So that was actually via the the uh, TV show that that Monica had mentioned, which is a show called uh, Slasher, and it's a, a Canadian based horror, like obviously horror based show. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so he had had a role, um, and we ended up building a a full likeness version of his body to be interacted with later in the season. Uh, but he actually had, and you know, of course, he came in for a life cast, and there was a makeup that we put on him for uh, his death in that season. But because of the way that we were shooting, he had never seen the final product until we were doing a press day at the very end of of that shooting schedule. And it was very brief. Like it was sort of like we had the body there and they were like, David, do you want to see yourself? And he kind of wandered over and was like, oh, you know, amazing, great. And because everything was so rushed, then it was kind of like, okay, that's it. And then, yeah, he followed up. Uh, a few months later to say that he was you know working on this short and inquired as to you know whether that body still existed where it was you know availability um and wrapped it up and brought it to his house yeah (laughs) yeah we sort of like shoved it in the car and then it was this sort of macabre like you know shuffling into the house with essentially a body bag um and I'm sure you know it's a very nice neighborhood so I'm sure the neighbors were probably like "Mm." What's but, going on? Yeah. yeah. I mean, luckily, they're also, it's like, it's David Cronenberg. There's going to be bodies going in. Yeah. Like at some point in time, that's the way it goes. It tracks. <laughs> but it was really lovely because the way that it had been used in the series, uh, though very on brand for, for what Slasher is, and we love making all kinds of disgusting things for them, David used it in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And it was this really lovely full circle situation, especially because it was a collaborative project with his daughter and it was just nice. It was, uh, it, it, put, it sprinkled a little love onto that dead body that, that as much as we loved it, because we thought it was a cool thing that we were proud of making it. it yeah. sort of took yeah. a different vibe to it. And it was following that short that then we sort of began speaking about, about his film. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because for me, like Cronenberg, like all his most iconic images or things that he's famous for, basically do involve prosthetics to some degree in like Videodrome or Existence or like here in Crimes of the Future and I I wonder just for you guys like 
how do you balance the fact that you're obviously individual artists and you have your own voices and your own way that you perceive things with this idea you that you have to I guess faithfully recreate the Cronenbergian vision because it's so crucial to who he is as a director yeah I mean I think something and from you know we actually one of the artists that was working in our our shop on when we were building stuff for crimes of the future had also worked on uh existence you know when it shot in toronto what like 22 years ago at that point um and so he actually had some memories of a similar process when it comes to design of it being very collaborative in that you know david has an idea of what he wants to see but it's sort of like let's let's talk about what this looks like and see a couple versions of it before he's like that that one is the one that I am thinking of in my brain mm-hmm. um so as much as you know their Carol Spear the production designer had a, a concept artist that she would work with and there was a few things where we got sent images of like this is sort of the overall design but then when it came to like the details and you know the technical bits of how this was going to look and come together it was very collaborative and we we had a sort of maybe not unprecedented but a a very rare uh opportunity for input mm. that you know doesn't always happen and you know especially with someone of of Cronenberg's stature certainly as a director you don't go in expecting to have any say you kind of sometimes go in and you're like okay this is the this is the image and just make it 3D um so yeah that was that was wonderful to have that opportunity sort of the difference of there are definitely projects where you feel you know that we we are artists so to speak within the realm of like we are envisioning this thing and we are designing this thing and here we are creating and then there are lots of other projects where we are technicians and we are like here is the vision we are facilitating it coming to life hopefully you know you you have the trust and input to say like here's what we think is going to work and and, or here's a, a different version of this situation but we walked in fully expecting to be sort of handled or sorry handed a a binder of goodies and saying like here are things please make the that was not i mean in a beautiful way that was not the case at all it was this really lovely open conversation about about building things together which was amazing yeah yeah and I I guess another big thing with his movies is that it, it it is fantasy but because it's all organic it feels plausible and I guess when you came to actually making this stuff did you have conversations about like okay right how realistic do we need to make this look or do we need to pull it back and make it a little bit more fantasy? Absolutely. And I mean, we, because there's a lot of ambiguity about, you know, set and setting and time and, you know, none of that is, is specified at all. So there's a, there's a lot of room for interpretation of what this world looks like. Like, is it an, or is it like an alternate universe? Is it future? Is it, you know, the Cronenberg multiverse, as it were, like, who knows? So you kind of, there was conversations of, do people get infections? Are they healing? Um, you know, is this a, a man-made thing? Like, wh- what is the origins of of certain things? And even like th- things like the Sark of like, what is its primary function? Did it, was it adapted? That kind of thing. So it in some ways felt like sometimes almost too much freedom because to a degree, it's like, just point me in a direction and then we will go off from there. And there was so many avenues that you could follow. So there was, you know, design back and forth that was very freeing, but also, you know, it's um, it's just a lot of work to kind of 
really pinpoint what the vision is when it's a very open world. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was an interesting process. I also want, I always wonder with prosthetics, what's it like in general when you present it to the actor for the first time? Because I'm like, what's it like, like going up to Viggo Mortensen and being like, here's, we made it your torso, but there's Hi. a job in there. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Yeah, we've was, been feeling it the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yes, we've been touching your body, not your body. Um, it's it. Uh, so in an you know in an ideal world with all of the time and all of the money and and so on and so forth, you know we love to do makeup tests and and usually upon those makeup tests we'll find things that we want to tweak. A creative team will say like oh like maybe you know, then you re-sculpt and you remold and you rerun and we do another makeup test there because of the timeline of the, that just couldn't happen and also everyone was all over the world so yeah. Vigo was in Australia at the time that we had started to build in Canada so a, a shop there had done his life cast we sort of received the plaster version of that and and started the clay process of of building his torso from there so that we could incorporate this these ports but honestly like it not not only was david amazing um and you know you always have that don't meet your heroes because you're probably going to be disappointed and and it's the same thing with a cast in general you there's amazing people to work with and then there are nightmare people as there are in any situation and we just really lucked out like everyone was just willing and thoughtful and there was no drama. There was no diva moments. There was nothing. They were just like, awesome. Great. This is the thing. Let's yeah, do it. And like, what do I need to do to facilitate everything? And, you know, it's wearing prosthetics and all of that kind of stuff. It's never a comfortable thing. You know, you're having things glued to you or strapped to you or whatever the situation is. And, you know, not everybody is as conscientious about maintaining what is on them as everyone was for this because it was hot you know like Greece unfortunately was like on fire literally during that summer in various places so it was just like the heat was unreal but everyone was just so down to be helpful with everything and and you know not complaining or anything like that even though they had every right to totally. um because it is uncomfortable and yeah it was it was just lovely yeah really made her. our job much easier yes yeah <laughs> yeah we, I mean yeah we can we can make an amazing thing and feel great about it and it get to set and you know if somebody's not feeling it or they're like oh I'm itchy under that and I need to rip this off it's like okay you know that's and again yeah. it's our job to figure out working around that but you know that there's the conversation in the trailer <laughs> and then there's the leaving the trailer and being like okay <laughs> you know how many terrible conversations do we need to have right now? You know, and yeah. well, yeah. even people being conscious again of the heat of just saying like, oh, okay, I, you know, as much as I would love to stand and watch this thing happen, I'm going to go sit in this cool room over here or stand in this cool room because I know that I have a makeup on and it would help everybody for it to, you know, not slowly slide off me as the day wears on. So, which I think was also like the clarity of how wonderful the collaboration is on Cronenberg projects on every level there mm. is such beautiful production interaction anyways and then his relationship uh either existing or built with the cast they want this to go well for him they want that makeup to look good they they were luckily lovely enough to us that they also didn't want to mess up our situation or complicate our day um which yeah it's just this really lovely moments where it was like oh my god just yeah you couldn't have asked for thing. better great rare that's for sure 
talking of like amazing things and dedication, I feel like we have to talk about Ev Man. Amazing, <laughs> spectacular. And I know originally he was just going to be a performance artist with like one extra set of ears. And then David Cronenberg said, how about ears all over? And ears. you have to decide like, okay, wait, what's too many ears? Like, did you have that conversation of like, what's the magnitude? We absolutely <laughs> did. Because again, it all, it always comes down to time and because again, the, the the initial brief, as it were, for this was he's got an extra set of ears behind his set, uh, and you're like, okay, great, easy, like easy, you know, is his eyes, the mouth, and the extra ears, no problem. Uh, and then throughout various, you know, emails or whatever, it became, well, maybe he's got a couple, you know, on his body. And I'm like, okay, so there was a few, you know, mock-ups that we would do digitally and send to him because it was just faster than any other version and say okay well you know what do you think about these and it yeah very quickly became well just however many I can get like as many as you can put on and so then it just became a logistical uh matter of like okay how many can we create before we have to film this thing but aside from that of breaking it down of like okay I think I think we broke it down to like each each ear was about like eight to ten minutes to fully apply so then I became literally timing it out of like, okay, I think we can logistically get, you know, maybe like 35 ears on his body in the amount of time that we have. And yeah, I, th- I think we put on all of them, maybe say two yeah. that we had ready to go because that was just how much time we had. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was sort of that journey for that makeup. Yeah. And I think so much of our, our planning for projects is, you know, again, we want to build budget, uh, being the consideration we want to build everything, you know, that anybody's pitching to us because that's what we like to do, but we never want to make things that aren't going to actually happen on the day. Like there's no point in us spending this time and effort and them spending this time and effort and then money getting sprinkled around to then get to a day and say like, we just don't have time to do this thing. Or, hey, you have 15 minutes to slap this on someone. We hate that. They're going to hate it. It's awful, you know? So, and again, Cronenberg having the history and understanding and ultimately the respect for for what we do was just like, whatever you can do, make it happen. And I'm pretty sure even then we were probably 20 minutes later to set than anticipated i know for sure we walked into a ready set um and it wasn't even a thing it was just like oh this is great welcome everyone you know let's make this happen not a like where have you been and what's going on it's like clearly we've been putting 800 years on this person yeah (laughs) and it's also the last thing that we shot yeah um for the for the film so it was sort of like the this idea of like we're gonna go out with a bang (laughs) and just come to set with you know this makeup that uh has so many parts to it and you know there is our portion of it but then there's a whole you know the performance itself and the lovely dance that Tassos did and you know everyone was just very happy to just kind of see it because it was that makeup is like nothing else in the film like there's other things but like that one I think visually was potentially the most impactful so it was kind of a very cool note to end on as well of like yeah we cut some people open and like sure 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 here's this guy like (laughs) check it out which yeah we really didn't know or anticipate and part of that might have just been like sleep deprivation and 
oh for sure craziness but it was this the sort of getting through it and and yeah all of a sudden you see it on camera and i just remember us sort of standing behind the monitors being like yeah well and people's reaction awesome. too like as yeah. he got to set because you know it was it was in a at an aqueduct aqueduct location in athens but there were still you know other civilians as it were uh non-crew people that were around and everyone was just kind of like like kind of just an odd reaction to it and you're kind of you know walking behind him because we're like leading him because he had limited vision um so helping him get to and kind of looking at each other being like all right yes this is good, good. okay this is a good sign <laughs> <laughs> that's so nice i i have a slightly like i don't know if this is a slightly philosophical question but i've always wondered for for people who work in in makeup uh fx like you spend so much of your job like looking at bodies and understanding how bodies work and does that affect like your relationship or your perception with your own bodies with like the idea of like mortality like these as flesh vessels like has it kind of changed your outlook on the world a little bit oh man that's a great question i would say yes and no um i again can only speak for myself but i i would say we are highly desensitized to horrendous things but like conscious enough to know that that's strange <laughs> something to like be aware of um i think it's definitely yeah there's just awful things that happen to people and and you know i think we're we're so as a society we've also come so far in terms of like what we just see every day on social media you know you see a happy thing and then you see a horrific thing and then you see a happy thing again within five seconds and you're like that's a very difficult thing for your brain to sort of categorize and, and yeah the like whiplash down. between the two is yeah real <laughs> so i think it's definitely you know as much as i am absolutely guilty of throwing on a murder documentary and casually being like wow you know crazy that that happen it's the sort of taking a step back and when we're being asked to do horrific things um drawing very definitive lines between we are making this thing but understanding why we're doing that and also who is watching this and interacting with it because <laughs> on a moral front it is a, a delicate balance between like i don't I mean, do we love making slashy gore things? Absolutely. It's tons of fun. We're working with good people who we know aren't going out and murdering people, but <laughs> I don't know who's watching these things. You know, you hope that it's, it's the balance of, of again, we all have guilty pleasures and sometimes you want to see some terrible person get ripped apart or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure there's a catharsis to it as well. And I mean, I would say the, the, the bit that does resonate occasionally as, as desensitized as you do get from looking at these things because a lot of the times you're looking at real reference images of actual people there are moments where you'll will have a you know a moment of pause where you're like oh wow like this is this was a person and i'm looking at this because we're trying to make this as real as possible and you know we've get, been given a brief of <laughs> this is what it needs to be so you know a lot of times you know someone will say you know i don't know like let's say from a surgery standpoint of like a, a thoracotomy or whatever and you're like okay what is that you google or you pull up a book or whatever and you see images and you inevitably see a lot of things that were it not for having to do this you would probably never have any exposure to in your life and the average person is probably not going to have any exposure to so it does create an awareness of like we are just 
bags of flesh <laughs> and meat and you know all of these things contained with this brain that allows us to sort of process things but yeah it is a reminder of like how very delicate <laughs> we are physically and yeah. um yeah yeah as much yeah. as I drive like a crazy person all the time and I know that that's not a good thing I'm now way more aware of like oh if I get into an accident this is what's going to happen yeah I have a very <laughs> unfortunately clear picture of exactly yeah. what will happen to my body yeah. oh god <laughs> well, thank you so much for that perspective yeah thank you um I'm going to shout out very quickly for people listening that uh you run black spot fx together and uh I'm going to tell people to go on your Instagram because your work on there is amazing. Uh, thank, you. thank you so much for your time uh, and congratulations thank again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank it was you. our pleasure. We really appreciate it. <laughs> My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? 521,600 minutes. How do you measure, measure long in? I don't, I've forgotten the words to rent, <laughs> but. It's fine. We got there it's, in the end. Everybody got the joke, it's rent. Did you get it? It's rent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, synopsis time. While attending a conference in Istanbul, Dr. Alethea Binney happens to encounter a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. This presents two problems. First, she doubts that he's real. And second, because she's a scholar of story and mythology, she knows all the cautionary tales of wishes gone wrong. The djinn pleads his case by telling her fantastical stories of his past. Eventually, she's beguiled and makes a wish that surprises them both. So, directed by George Miller from a script written by Miller and his daughter, Augusta Gore, starring Idris Elba, Tilda Swinton, Aelia Brown, Aimito Legum, Baraku Golgada, Matteo Bocelli, Khan Gulda, and Jack Brady, and also Sabrina Elba, Idris Elba's wife. Wait, is she? I did. Oh, I missed that. Sorry, I just think it's quite <laughs> funny because the other week, the other week, there was this whole thing about like Idris Elba made his daughter audition for for Beast and then didn't give her the role, so yeah. he didn't speak to her. And then it's like no one's talking about the fact that his wife has got this like role in 3000 years long and so it's like oh nepotism does work out sometimes when it's your wife <laughs> <laughs> is that why the daughter was mad she was like well, why does your wife get to be in the movie i mean look i don't, I don't want to say anything but it's like <laughs> would you prefer a happy wife or a happy daughter <laughs> i suppose that's the question yeah she was she plays like the watcher in it and I looked at her IMDb because it's so funny because I Googled her and it says, um, oh, actress. And I looked at IMDb and like the only thing listed is, is this movie. Is this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. There we go. OK, so, I mean, look, let's just start with the fact that it is like it's supposed to be. Um, well, it's based on a book written by an English author um, and it's called, oh God, what's it called? The Nightingale and something or other. And it's basically like several 
she's kind of done several of her own stories that are inspired by folk tales. And this particular one is um, inspired by like 1001 Nights, you know, the Arabian Nights situation. So I, I think there's, you know, there's the kind of question of, does it escape the orient, orientalist trappings, you know, that it, you know, of the, of the original 1001 Nights, of the actual kind of remake, their adaptation in this book, and in the fact that it is, again, all white people telling these stories from the so-called East. Yeah, because I, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the 1001 Nights, the version that we know was collated by a French guy, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. So it is already, like, through a European perspective. And, yeah, I mean, this... <laughs> This just really feels like the modern continuation of, like, those 19th century paintings. Like, you know, the Orientalist paintings, yeah. or it's like the Queen of Shiva at court <laughs> by Anchor or something like that. Where it's just sort of this, like, weird, like, colonial, like, exoticization, but also sort of, like, art tourism uh, but in a way that is very, like, devaluing to the culture that it's capturing, because obviously uh, all these British and French places had conquered <laughs> these places, and I think the the Orientalist art was a way of sort of stripping them of their, their like, like, their groundedness and their identity as people by making them this fantastical, like, far-off, yeah. like, mystical place. And yeah, and this just I this just kind of feels like it's really hard to not look at this and go, well, this is just the modern version of it. It's the 2022 version of those paintings. And I mean, we can get into how damaging it is, but I don't think you can separate it from that tradition. Yeah. And I think the problem of like, I mean, again, my 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 name today is Edward Said Wept, (laughs) probably for both of the films that we're talking to talk about. Yes. But like, (laughs) it's the the problem is it's this it's this kind of idea of like making the East, like which includes like Southwest Asia, like China, like Mm. all anything that's like East, like so the Orient versus the Occidental world, which is the West. So that's like all the whiteness. And, like, how, like, it's just this melting pot as if, like, that's all they are. Like, and it's, like, this kind of, there's no distinctive identity between the regions. Because, actually, like, Aladdin, that was originally supposed to be about a Chinese boy. (laughs) But then they can't, obviously, it's gone through a whole different, gone through the wash several times. I think for me as well, it's, like, exactly what you said about the exotic, the exotic other. And how much, like, again, the framing device of having... And I suppose it's better that you've got like the gin telling its story, but it's also Idris Elba, famously not Eastern. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, again, like, and it's interesting because gin, I think is like the concept of that. It's kind of like an Islamic world as well. So it's like, again, I don't know, getting the most famous non-white non person to play your gin. Okay, fine. And then, um, but then having him tell the stories but then pretty much reducing every other kind of character to silence because they barely have a voice. Like even like the queen of Sheba, she doesn't even say a word. I pretty much think she has one word. Like there's um, in each of the three stories that it tells, like they don't have a voice at all. So you have all these people 
who are Turkish or, you know, yeah, everyone who is Turkish, I believe, Turkish characters are played by Turkish people. But, like, they're just pretty much silent and then exoticized as well because, you know, there's scenes where they're just, just women naked and, like, talking about fetish, it's like, just because you call it fetish, fetish, you're still showing these women's bodies and seeing them in exotic terms of being naked and overtly sexualized as well. That's another thing that's a problem of the tro- of this kind of orientalist trope. It's that you only see people from those regions, especially women, as just like overtly sexual, exotic people. And then that has an effect on how you see people in the real world. So I like, you know, read my book. I talk all about it. <laughs> Strong female character <laughs> chapter. But um, so, yeah, so I feel, I feel like, yeah, there's no way you could do this. You could know, there's no way you could have done this film. George Miller could not have done this film without being oriented. It's just by the fact that he is a white man. Mm. It's white people telling this story. And again, even the frame of advice of Tilda Swinton, again, I know she's positioned as like, hey, other people are great. But even from the opening, opening, you know, voiceover, she goes, strange lands. <laughs> it's like, is it strange? Are they strange lands or are they just lands that you don't know? And then you're just basically reinforcing it. So she even through the her work is reinforcing the strangeness of this of the othering of it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and it is just it's like the source material immediately because that's he he's coming from an angle where yeah you're right there's there's no way to not be orientalist like it doesn't really matter the I mean I feel like that some care has been put into this but as yeah as you said like that kind of is cancelled out immediately by the very like structure of what he's doing (laughs) yeah no I think that's the thing I I, I, you know don't get me wrong I think George Miller's amazing but like there are some things that's like this isn't your story to tell really like or is it even it does this even need to be told in this way because there's things about it because obviously we have the three stories um of of um that the 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 gin talks about about his whole three thousand years of being or whatever his whole experience but there's a kind of story at the end that felt like oh i kind of wish like that was that was the story that it was kind of built around and that would have made it less about like these outsiders like western outsiders like you know coming and talking about you know infiltrating and even like the kind of very nature of the like they've come in and infiltrated, but then also to do a lot of harm as well, which I feel like, I mean, I'd love to get into like the actual longing part of this because for a film that's talking about love and all that, it felt very cold to me. Um, And I think that's because obviously, well, not obviously, but like Tilda Swinton and the pairing with Idris Elba. And also I suppose the climax, not to give things away, but like the climax of like how that narrative plays out and decision makes the kind of problematic nature of that as well. Um, I think you know what I mean, but I'm trying to do this so I don't give it away to... (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's okay to say that there's, like, a love story element to this. And, you know, immediately, like, yeah, the dynamics between them, because it's, you know, a white woman and the magical gin that came out of a bottle and is now, like magically bound to her and has to give her three wishes like it's easy to imagine how that in this movie might come with some like very unbalanced power to it and i think the film sort of tries to address it but 
as you say, yeah, it, it's. I agree that if it, it feels very cold, and it's weird to me because Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba are such charismatic actors. I mean, we were talking about it last week with Beast. Like, he's so fantastic to watch, and Tilda Swinton is obviously always fantastic to watch. But like, somehow together, like, it is not clicking. <laughs> I don't know what. Ha- I don't know what happened because they're both really talented and there's no reason. And I think maybe it's just because of the nature of the characters that it's very hard. Maybe it was hard for them as actors to find what the connection was because I am still none the wiser mm-hmm. about like why these two people would like each other. <laughs> you know, that sounds really stupid, but it's like sometimes with love stories, I'm just like, okay, I get the structure of what the love story is meant to be, but why would these two people like each other? Yeah. Like what's, What's the vibe? What are they going to talk about on a date? Yeah, and I even thought, like, yeah, I always I even thought with the the sort of backstory of Alethea as well, I think it was this weird thing where trying to, like, humanise her or make empathy, but I just, I just didn't, I just didn't, like, care. I was just like, this is going to go into a weird place, and, and I suppose, like, okay, I suppose, again, like, again, wishes are just, a cautionary tale and there's no good coming of it. But I feel like, you know, if Aladdin taught me anything <laughs> and actually one thing I respect about Aladdin, it's like you can't make someone fall in love with you. That is true. Did this woman not watch Aladdin at any point in her life? <laughs> she obviously was not a fan. I mean there were two they remade it in live action. She had two opportunities to learn that lesson. She did, she did not. There we go. It was <laughs> Okay, but I thought the funniest things about this this film, how she managed to afford the house that she has. She's a narratologist for a university and she has this like ridiculous like townhouse. Did yeah, she get money in the I... divorce? Is that what it was or something like that? I was like, how did she afford that house? I've decided to choose inherited wealth. Yeah. Because also I feel like becoming a narratologist <laughs> feels like the kind of thing that like I don't know what that job is. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose you're just like discovering the or what is it, the root cause of like all myths and legends, like seeing what Yeah. Which is kind of a cool job actually. I feel like that's kind of a cool job. But and maybe or maybe she bought it yeah. in the eighties, because obviously she's like what well, Tilda's like in her fifties, sixties now. Maybe the character bought it in the eighties when you could get like an eighty thousand pound house and now it's like half a million. Now that is depressing. That's true. Um that's also true. they put her up in like I don't know if you've ever been like I've done panels and stuff, but I've never been put up in like a suite as big as the one that they have in this one. I was like, well, she's doing all right. Well, it's the suite that I found this very telling. They say it's a suite where Agatha Christie wrote Murder on the Orient Express. I was like, oh, so you you arrived to Oriental. Oh, yeah, you're like, in it. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding. Yeah. And there's that weird, weird, that was that weird bit at the end where they tried to insert a thing where it's like talking about othering, like, oh, why'd you go to this place? We don't need ethnics here or something like that with these two neighbours. That felt like, this is George Miller basically trying to like, hey, we're on your side, ethnic minorities. (laughs) Yeah, and then like the racism immediately goes away because they're given a nice snack. Oh, yeah. It's very strange. Chickpeas. (laughs) Which look delicious. I've never tried that, but... um... But I like the fact she has a northern accent, although (laughs) whereabouts in the north is she from? 
the train from Snowpiercer. <laughs> She's got one northern accent locked in. That's all she can do. It's the same accent. It is the same um, accent. I swear to God, it is. I was like, when I listened to it, I was like, Snowpiercer? Is that you? There you go. Okay. Um, I, what else should we talk about? I suppose I suppose it, it, we should probably talk about like um, the graphics and stuff of it. Yes. Which was quite, I think was quite well done with um, with this, I suppose, with how they did Idris, the djinn. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's the same editing and cinematography team as Mad Max Fury Road, so Margaret Siskel and um, um, John Seal. And, like, there's a few of the same techniques in it. Like, I don't even know how to describe it, but, you know, you know in Mad Max Fury Road where it's the sort of, like hallucinogenic at yeah, the beginning yeah. where he's just waking up and it's all like blah, blah, blah. so they put in a little bit of that which I always like and there, there is so much imagination to it there's a scene where there's like a soldier and his head pops off and it's like a little crab spider and it talks to him oh god yeah that was quite scary that was yeah quite and then it becomes loads of scarabs yeah. or needles or something like I really love that stuff and um i'm always going to be appreciative of an artist like george miller like having the guts to do weird shit like that yeah <laughs> uh but there wasn't i feel like there wasn't enough of it for me i i feel like to have the same team as fury road and for the plot for like the editing to still feel quite sluggish in places mm. i was quite surprised I was kind of surprised, I guess. It was one of those things where it kind of looked, it kind of looked very 90s to me just because of the, like, the hyper real colour of it. Like, it was mm. very vibrant. But I think it was just like there wasn't a lot done with it. It felt, I don't know, it did feel like a lot like a set. It, <laughs> it looks like, and this is a really specific reference, but it looks like every like high budget, <laughs> like French fantasy kind of naff movie that i've ever seen have you seen any like i don't really haven't seen this... much french stuff. when when france tries to do blockbusters and they make like lucky luke and it's like hyper real color <laughs> <laughs> not like not like, to really... on fire no 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 it was like the other end like, of the spectrum this vibe <laughs> <laughs> like their answer to the mcu and they just make and it's always like really fucking weird well like the asterix movies yes 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 the asterix this is the vibe yeah. this is the vibe that i got which i do enjoy sometimes a lot um but a little bit less here mm-hmm. okay should we do our screen stream or skip verdicts Clarice. yes I'm gonna have to say skip on this I mean you could just go rewatch Fury Road because that is the nearest <laughs> piece <laughs> but yeah I just I didn't yeah the orientalism I think let's move on from that yeah Go watch Beast. I didn't get to see... I wasn't here last week, so I was ill last week. So I'm going to say, go watch Beast. Yes. Okay. So, so... (laughs) From one Orientalist tale to another. God, what is it? What's going on? What's going on? Why? I love that it's right before I go to Tunisia as well. It's like, escape it. Uh, This is The Forgiven. Face it, David, we're lost. That's the time. No, it's not. This is the time. No, David. Don't be so bloody stupid. It was an accident. He stepped out in front of us. We don't want the police showing up. 
poking their noses into everything. You got into a car with a drunk, which makes you an accessory. I feel like I've been an accessory for a long time now. Now listen, are you going to Mopal weekend, or are you going to enjoy yourself? It's not a car, you enjoy yourself, you know. Where are you? And I'm so sorry. <laughs> I cannot sleep. I hit someone with my car. <laughs> That was so well done. That was so specific. <laughs> this is the forgiven. Uh, it's just all about forgiving and not forgiving and saying sorry and not saying sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Speeding through the Moroccan desert to attend an old friend's lavish weekend party, wealthy Londoners David and Joe Henninger, Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain, are involved in a tragic accident with a local teenage boy. Arriving late at the Grand Villa with the debauched party raging, the couple attempts to cover up the incident with the collusion of the local police. But when the boy's father arrives seeking justice, the stage is set for a tension-filled culture clash in which David and Joe must come to terms with their fateful act and its shattering consequences. Written and directed by John Michael McDonough, uh, older brother of the other McDonough, Martin, based off the 2012 novel by Lawrence Osborne. It stars Vines Chastain, uh, also Matt Smith, uh, Ishmael Kanata, uh, Caleb Landry-Jones, Abby Lee, Saeed Tagmawi, and Christopher Abbott. Him from Girls. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody knows who Christopher, who Christopher Abbott is. I'm just happy for about. once. I'm just happy this time around he's not playing like the arab or i think he was in like whiskey tango frost foxtrot he played like the afghan or an arab like i don't know fixer or something for tina fey which i did not see but um i think i'm okay with that (laughs) Uh... you're good good. so oh god i mean do we want to again just just get the orientalism out of the way (laughs) i mean the thing is about this this kind of goes what i see about this film this is a product of someone who's read orientalist stuff like who's grown up on oriental stuff therefore this is how they see it this is this is like a product of how um much it's permeated like these stereotypes are permeated into the culture into the culture so it's someone who's like but then also someone who's trying to say hey actually let's let's try and like de- let's try and be better let's give them more of a more of a voice and say but still actually give them nothing <laughs> at all yeah i guess for me this movie was a very much it was very much like a a trying to to what's it what's the phrase trying to have its cake and eat and it, eat it yeah. kind of movie where it presents these absolutely horrific racist awful awful privileged people and because like John Michael McDonough he did uh, the guard and, and cavalry and like. The vibe is sort of Martin McDonough-ish, not to, I'm sorry. It's very three like, billboards. I came out thinking of three a... billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Like, they do kind of have similar vibes. They grew up in the same house, so it's not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and there's sort of an investment in that very cutting dialogue. And some of it, I think, was meant to be funny. I didn't really laugh. But we I were in the same screening, jokes. and it was actually kind of, like, just eye-rolling. Because there were certain people last screening who were of a certain age and of a certain colour, <laughs> who were like literally scre- like loving it, like literally being, oh, this is the funniest thing ever. And you're like, oh, of course. There was a joke about <laughs> the French photographer. There's a French photographer 
and everyone hates her because she keeps smack talking America, which that was probably my favorite bit is her smack talking America. <laughs> um, and and then she leaves, and and the joke is, um, oh. Uh, who did she work for? The New York Times. Oh, thank God! I thought it was the Guardian, and I don't, I don't understand what that joke means. Everyone laughed, and I, I was like, I don't. It's like the idea. No, it's like New York Times style section versus like the Guardian, and the Guardian might do like a because it's seen as like a liberal. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously the all right wing assholes, aren't they? They're all, they're all like yeah. right wing money Tories. <laughs> Everyone there. Right. So it's like the Guardian might do like a expose on like Would went to this be thing. more yeah. sympathetic. No, no, they'll be like they'll like literally caught like. The Guardian would do an expose on everything that went on in the in the party and talk about all the. Uh, just okay, but the New York Times is like famously quite mean about the Brits. But I think it was about the New York Times style section specifically. Okay, but I don't know. Maybe that's also part of like them. They're English, so they don't care about the Guardian. <laughs> I feel like this movie was not made for me because <laughs> I didn't understand any of the jokes at all. <laughs> I didn't understand them. There's one bit about, oh, you're a high functioning alcoholic. And it's like, I've always felt like I was just, and everyone was oh, laughing I at it. I was like, that's not that, that funny. The... It's such a lame joke. <laughs> yeah, that the, the high functioning should cancel the alcoholic out. Yeah, except when you yes. accidentally murder, murder, and this is the point, isn't it? She murders a little boy. And I think that's the, I suppose, yeah. this is the whole thing about, it's just like deeply unpleasant in a way that feels like I'm, you know, we've got such a history now in the last few years, we've seen so many of these films and TV shows that are kind of focusing on the 1%, but at least in something like succession, they all suffer. Like they all suffer mm. a lot. And I, what annoyed me, and this is why I compare it to three billboards is that the Ray Fiennes character, he's slowly given <clears throat> a redemption arc that they mentioned at one point, Oh, so he was left wing. He did this. And it's like, oh, no, don't try and turn it around. He's killed someone. And you guys are trying to cover it up. And you've been terrible the whole time. Like, if he was a good person, he would literally go to the police and try and get it sorted. But he's not. Everything about mm. the way. And you're trying to set him up as this honorable person. And it's not at all. And then Jessica Jastain's character, what is her purpose other than to be like, yeah, I'm actually a dick. <laughs> and I've got no, I was at first, I was really like, upset that I'd witnessed the mur- like witnessed the death of the thing and then it's like oh maybe I should get divorced if I hadn't have done this I wouldn't have got divorced what an amazing moment of self-realization for me just like it's awful yeah it's a very strange way this movie structures that you almost have these two parallel narratives so you have Jessica Chastain's Joe who stays at the the house the castle and continues to be a horrific person uh I did like the joke where she was like, the children of the, what is it? The children of the future will have completely empty brains or something. Yeah. So, so mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you have that happening on one side and then on the other side you have Ray Fiennes, like, so they're like the Jessica, Ch- sorry, let me rewind. So on one side you have the Jessica Chastain narrative, which is meant to be like very dark comedy. And then on the other side, the parallel narrative is Ray Fiennes going on this like very overly sincere journey of like guilt and reckoning, but not really because he like finds a Dalek and that makes him change his mind. But this is what I mean. Um. It's like both in both narratives, it's all about the white people who have done wrong finding their finding some new realization about themselves 
about their lives. And actually it's yeah. like just using the local people who are basically considered like, just treated like savages, like, you know, every every harmful thing you could say about anyone who's native to a region. And again, these are, this is also, they call them Berber, but actually Berber is kind of a slur. It's like Imazien, that's what they talk. It's like, these are the native people to this region. And like, they're treated as if they're like, you know, throughout, it's always like, they're backwards and all this and and it just it just felt like they're the, they're in the margins of this story just to kind of prop up these white leads and it just felt just really just unpleasant and just just bad taste really and I just felt like what's the purpose of this and there's none really at all other than to give white people a pack a pat on the back for their just terrible behavior mm. I mean let's before we wrap up I, let, let's talk about uh, Saeed Takamawi, who... Oh, my, um, my guy. Poor guy. I love him. <laughs> I'm so happy whenever he turns up and stuff. Because uh, Lion is uh, one of my favourite movies, and I think he's amazing in that film. Oh, yeah. He's taking this role because there's probably not a lot of roles for him. Yeah. And that's what's sad about it. I see him in this role, and it's like, dude, my guy, like you deserve better than than this. But like it's like Omar Sharif. I think about how, how you know he did Funny Girl and he did you know Doctor Shivago, and then suddenly he said he said in an interview that I mean he had a lot of gambling debts, but he said in an interview it's like none of the directors wanted to work with foreigners anymore. They only wanted to work with Americans during like the Hollywood directors. So he ends up doing this movie Ashanti where he plays this like like awful oil shake who wants to take sex slaves, and you're like. He can't like put himself on the Arab boycott list for doing that film. And you're like, that's what people have to do. Like they have to do these shitty mm. roles because that's all that's left. Yeah. And you can see like it's such a thinly written character and you can see him like absolutely fucking tried his best to make it interesting because <laughs> he is a great actor. And but yeah, I think for him, the I think for me, like that character is so representative of what this movie is doing because his entire the entire point of that character is for him to come in and and like spend time with Ray Fiennes's character so at the end he can turn around and go like you are an honorable man and you know and it's like what the what the fuck like when <laughs> Like I found, I found that scene. There's just like I don't think it's supposed to say that. There's a scene near the end where he has this moment of like, "Oh, you're actually a really great guy." Yeah. It's like, is he? Is he? You know what? This is the thing. I will say this about it. Like the Moroccan characters were like very well acted. Like Ishmael Kanata, I thought he just mm, did such yes. a wonderful job. He didn't give anything away. It kind of reminded me a bit of um, Mads Mikkelsen. That kind of. It, the ability to say yes. so much without with your eyes without actually there's sort of only like slight nuances like the very limited movement in your face but you can still there's so much going on there like there's a lot going on in the mind behind that and I thought he did a very good job and obviously Saeed was great and you know what you know I mean it's hard to give praise to like these actors just playing dickheads because it's like it's very easy to play horrible shitty people yeah and I can see I can see that I always see the appeal for actors like actors love doing this kind of role because it's the ultimate challenge right is to to get the biggest dickhead and try to find like some little crumb of humanity in them and you know Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain have always played those kinds of roles like they've done 
that thing many times before and very well and like i guess it's good here as well but as you said yeah matt smith is really in his villain era (laughs) (laughs) like morbius it's morbin (laughs) time yeah i haven't watched house of dragon but he seems bad like a bad character (laughs) and also abby lee girl what happened to your career you went from the lead in like neon demon like co-lead in neon demon to like doing these like tiny little roles where she's just basically playing party girl i suppose it was i assume it's a lockdown movie it does kind of have that vibe i thought she was good i I enjoyed her because she nailed i don't know she nailed nailed exactly what she was doing very well i'm sure there's some deleted scenes (laughs) that she had more substantial things for imagine i can imagine that being an actress must be so hard but you could turn up and you're like oh i've got these amazing scenes and then you see the final thing it's like oh i'm just running around <laughs> being loose i mean <laughs> i was cut out the only movie i ever i was ever in what was so that i do know that feeling uh, <laughs> i was in a movie called 28k um it's don't look it up it's very bad <laughs> it's a really bad movie but every I single listener is, a, is literally on google right now googling 28k <laughs> <laughs> um and i was playing a, a french uh secretary and they kept i went in with what i thought was like a fairly realistic french accent and they every single after every single take they're like can you like can you just like amp it up a little bit and by the end i came in like hello there is a foot girl for you and i knew that day i was like this scene's getting cut this is fucking awful <laughs> and it was you could see my shoulder my shoulder made it to the final cut of the Right, well, look, I can't wait so till someone get the screen grab. Someone get the screen grab for that, please. <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> Anyways, should, should we wrap up? Yeah. Is, is the forgiven embarrassing? Is it is embarrassing? Is it as bad as Twenty Eight Gay? It's time for it's time for our judgment. Screen, stream, or skip? Hannah, the forgiven. <laughs> I do not forgive. <laughs> <laughs> only god forgives and it does not forgive this this film so i'm i'm skip on this yeah i'm also gonna say skip and i feel like we have to offer a recommendation now because it's kind of a quiet week but um uh oh you could go see star trek to wrath of khan which i saw oh, this week yes. and it was it was actually like a nice reprieve so great still good still like camp still ridiculous but also so much like the final scenes sorry spoilers it's been out a while but like the final scene between spock and kirk it's just like oh 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 so good i love it and i'll say just what if you haven't seen lan watch lan yeah it's incredible i think it's on like i think you can get it on like loads pretty much most of the streamers i'm pretty sure have it that you can stream yeah it's quite widely available um, but yeah, one of my favorite movies. Okay, and it's also got Vincent Cassell in it, who is hot, hot. We love Vincent Cassell. Yeah, Ugh. also fantastic in that movie. So good. Okay, so I guess it's time for our. I feel like we need some Elvish chanting. Yes. So, so Lord of the Rings back baby it's the return of the king of fantasy franchises <laughs> with the first two episodes of the lord of the rings co-along the rings of power now available on prime video based on the lord of the rings and its appendices by jrr tolkien the show was developed by showrunners jd payne and patrick mckay 
and it's set in the second age of Middle Earth, thousands of years before Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Beginning in a time of relative peace, we follow an ensemble cast of characters as they confront the reemergence of evil to Middle Earth. God, evil just will not quit. Sauron. Sauron. Morgoth. Um, from the darkest depths of the Misty Mountains to the majestic forests of Linden, to the breathtaking island kingdom of Númenor, to the furthest reaches of the map, these kingdoms and characters will carve out legacies that live on long after they are gone. It stars Morphe Clark, Lenny Henry, Markella Kavanagh, Robert Aramayo, Ishmael Cruz Cordova, Nazanin Boniadji, Owen Arthur, Sophia Nomveta, Charlie Vickers, and Charles Edwards. So, um, considering, considering Lord of the Rings was the most formative franchise in your life, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of one to tree bid <laughs> how big how big were you at like how high were your expectations for this series i i don't know i felt very weird about this and i don't know, i'll jump straight into my judgment because my expectations were the same as my takeaway okay <laughs> that i really i have enjoyed watching these first two episodes and i'm going to continue watching the series there's a lot that i like about it but it's really bizarre to me to watch, like, as you said, the movies that raised me, like, The Hobbits, those are my dads. <laughs> Sean Aston is my dad. Uh, it's, it's so weird to watch, like, the continuation of something so formative in my life, but it's, like, because it's not Warner Brothers, it it's, like, the off... It's a very expensive off-brand version it's like the multiverse version it's like wait kind there's something of, yeah. that's like slightly different because they didn't it's shoot it did they shoot off. it in the same places as pete jackson's was well, shot in new zealand and i think some of the when they went to casa doom that was, i was a bit like is that the same location that they shot <laughs> where they go to the mines of Moria. It looks like it's very close by. I think they maybe didn't shoot in exactly the same places because we don't visit, you know, we don't go to Minas Tirith or anywhere. We're going to new cities. But it's, New Zealand's quite small, so they were mm. probably, like, down the road. So did you, like, like hot take? Is it like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we've got this. I'm back in business. Like, I needed this. This will sustain me. (laughs) It's not kind of yes and no. It's hard because I feel like I'm almost not the audience for this because the movies mean so much to me that I'm obviously going to be weird and overprotective over them. Mm. And just by the very fact that legally it cannot be the same, the things that they've changed because my stupid little brain is so you know, fixated on the old thing. I'm like, why do the elves have short hair? They don't look pretty enough. It's like complaining about really, really small things that shouldn't matter. But because I'm so attached to Lord of the Rings, they do matter. Oh, so that's like a... But some of them have long hair. Yeah, but I feel like they should all have long hair because they should be pretty. They're not... They're, like, pretty and, like... They're too mas. They're very masculine looking. The elves. You want something I find interesting? It's like their their heads look foreheads look massive. <laughs> I feel like reduce <laughs> some. Like it's weird. Like the king guy who is Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter actor. Is that the same? I knew. I, 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 I kind of got Laurie's husband. 
that one oh. yeah i think so but it's like there's a massive like i don't know what it is but it's like the side of his head is like a lot of skin and i'm like have they moved his thing back or is that the ear thing wig right it must be the wig I but the wig and even wigs. like the guys playing like elrond he's fun i like him but it's like is he just got a massive forehead or is it because it's also he's got like the the quiff that's coming back yeah, I think it's partially the hairstyle. Yeah, because it's like the hairstyles for the elves are quite. It's also really back and then high, and I just feel like just give him, just give him long hair, just give him, long <laughs> hair. Give him Fabio hair. I also Please. love the fact that they like the way they say Galadriel. <laughs> no one's ever seen. Oh yeah, it's like they're really enunciating. It's like Galadriel. Just call it Galadriel. It's like. Galadriel, Galadriel. 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 or Sauron. Sauron, which they never rolled the R's in the movie. Yeah, I know, but they really are. Just Sauron. Um, yeah, I think it's funny. I think that's funny. I actually, my favorite bit. My I like episode two more than episode one. So what we got into it's because of the yes. dwarves, mate. Dwarves are my team. I love them so much. <laughs> they were great. That's the thing. There's like, I there's stuff in it that I'm going to keep watching the show because I'm like I feel like if they develop these characters more and I get to know them better and I yeah get to spend more time with Doran because he's fucking cool and his wife she's fucking cool if we get to spend more time with them and grow a relationship with them then I think I I can get into it but I'm still in the like baby deer nervous stages of like because I was always a fan of like Gimli and Legolas is like friendship yes. so for me i'm like get the elves and dwarves together but it was also interesting because i was thinking to my head in my head again i i'm not as like on the films as you are but when i was when i when they arrived at the um the dwarves like the mounting home what's it called you'll know where the way the doom like it was interesting it's like oh so this is like when they arrive, it's like, oh, everyone's going to be feasting. It's like, no, the orcs have been here. And so it's interesting to actually see what it looked like before the orcs, like what that kingdom was. Because then I was looking, I was like, yeah. oh, take all that stuff away. And that's when like, that's the whole place where you shall not pass bit of it. But not because legally it can't be the same. No, but like there is, you know what I mean? It is a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to see yeah. that. It's like, oh, that's yeah. what it used to look like. And it was, I thought that was kind of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I when they started showing, releasing the posters and some of the first images, I was a little like, oh, some of the designs I'm not sure about. But I think seeing them in context now, like, I really like the designs of, like, the the dwarves, the women. Like, they have, I'm going to get nerdy, it's like almost like a Greek, like, ancient Greek Mycenaean thing mm. with the gold collars. And which is cool because that's different from what the movies did. And I think my favorite things about the show are where they've gone, let's do something really different and try something new that still feels like Tolkien. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like off brand Peter Jackson. Yeah. And I hope we get more of that because I like that. Yeah. And you know what? I have been, I am enjoying kind of, yeah, exploring the worlds that I didn't, wasn't aware of or like, because isn't this you know they mentioned things that seem to be about the origin like the i don't know Samoa, oh god i can't even say it smorillion smorillion because they mentioned that yeah and they mentioned there's yeah. like because there's a few books like the unfinished tales and stuff is this what it's supposed to be based on like it's based off the appendices which are basically the footnotes 
of the book. Is that it? I thought it had like that, but also like it was all the stuff that came before. So that's what it is. No, I think legally they're not allowed to use the Cimmerillion. Oh, because because didn't the didn't the Tolkien estate not like not like the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, and they'd already given them the rights to the thingy, and then they wanted to get and and Peter Jackson wanted to get the rights to Cimmerillion, but they weren't yeah. given them because they were like, we don't oh, like what you did with maybe. it. I'm pretty sure it's about that. I remember writing about ages ago. Oh, but yeah, I know that they can't do the Cimmerillion. So it's literally the appendices. So when you buy like the box set of the books, you have the three novels, and then you have this little slim (laughs) book that comes with it. That's the appendices that I tried to read when I was a kid. And I couldn't do it because it reads like the Bible. It is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Isildur, forgotten of thingy. And it's yeah. just, it's so dry because it's all the like ideas and history and just shit that he couldn't put in the novels. He just shoved into this like info dump yeah. of Middle well, it's like the, what well, Frank Herbert did with Dune as well. Like at the end of Dune, you've got like the kind of additional bits. It's like just yes. in case for your reference, in case you need to know. Yeah, here so are the Arabic that ones. They are. <laughs> they're doing like a five-season arc based off the footnotes of a book. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of the stuff is made up. They're just look. Kind this of is the thing. same Hollywood that made three movies from a tiny thin book of a Hobbit. True. So, like, that is true. They'll rinse it. Um, what didn't you like? What what are things were like? What's your hot take like? Nah. I think my hottest take is that it is just try it is trying a little too desperately to be like, remember remember movies? It's that at first you're right, the second episode I enjoyed a lot more because it's starting to get into like the meat of the story and what's actually happening. The first episode was like, uh oh, they're in a they're in a dark cave and there's a troll but it's a snow troll this time and this guy's gonna say what devilry is this but it's different because Boromir said what new devilry is this so you can't sue us <laughs> and then we're gonna have a seed with fireworks like fun crazy magical fireworks but it's not a dragon so you can't sue us <laughs> it's like beat the beat and there's like a scene where they're talking about the return of the lost king there's a scene where galadriel talks about remembering the like feeling of home and the sensations of home it's like that's literally sam's speech when they're on mount doom and he talks about remembering the shire well this is another thing like, the little half come on the little half they call them half yes. not halflings because is that a thing that is, is from that... the books because it's like they're the hobbits travelers. They're like a type of hobbit. Yeah, they're the ones who are of. like Adjacent we we hobbits. migrate, we travel around. They're like travelers. Yeah, and I kind of love that. I like that this like kind of like West Country Northern Irish <laughs> kind of accent. Yes, I like the accents in yeah. the show. I like the variety of accents. But they're doing a Frodo. Well, they're doing a frodo and samwise in the in the case of the two exactly. sis- are they sisters that's what it feels like it's like it's a lot of the same dynamics yeah and then they've introduced this hellbrand character who's not from the books at all who's just like oh hellbrand is he like the yeah. guy on the yeah i was like is that the, the one that the galadriel like boinks <laughs> in other kids but that's, that's not, not that's Salem. the husband no Caliborn. Caliborn, yeah. that's it. And then they have a daughter. I have Wikipedia at this. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Celebrian the or Celebrian or something. Is that daughter? 
Yeah. yeah. I am enjoy I'm enjoying it actually. I enjoy it more than House of the Dragons, I will say. The fantasy um, element of it where it actually it's not about like raping women. <laughs> like what I love about there's a clear like yeah. well, I really appreciate that you can have a ser- fantasy series like this where it's not trying to like overtly sexualize women or do that. It just feels, you know, Galadriel being this like hero doesn't feel at all unnatural. Like mm. it just feels like normal. Like there doesn't feel everything we're pushing something. It doesn't feel like in the not saying it has to be a pushing agenda, but it doesn't come from the origins of the story. You're not pushing, you're not taking it too far, you're pushing it too far away from the idea that women could also do this and be fighting actually, yeah. because they're elves. Wow. They're like amazing. <laughs> and Tolkien uh, described her as a military leader. Yeah, exactly. She was the greatest of all elf women. And I will say, I fucking love Morford Clark, what she's doing with Galadriel. Like, it's there's enough Kate Blanchett there. Yeah, It's like, yeah. I can connect it, but it's also very much her own performance. And she looks great in all the armor. I'm excited. Yeah. I but Elrond, he's not nailed the yeah. voice of Hugo Weaving. <laughs> no one could. <laughs> like, no one could. Go Mordor. <laughs> I am also enjoying his performance. I though. think he's great. I think he's really fun. He's really fun. I'm really um, glad. I just want I, all elves. I'm just like, yeah. give me the elves and the dwarves, like the elves. and I'll be done. Elves and the dwarves. I do worry yeah. that it's 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 spread quite thin. That's one thing I do worry about. Yeah, I was gonna say like I am kind of enjoying this in the same way that I'm enjoying Game of Thrones, as as a sort of a big soap drama with like well, there's no dragons in this, but with snow trolls (laughs) and elves and shit like it has and this was kind of my concern with it is that it feels like they're trying to map lord of the rings onto game of thrones even though they are two very different fantasy properties but i will say you're right like it's really nice to see a show, a fantasy show that's not trying to be controversial and they're like, oh my god, titties and blood and violence. It's like a very nice, <laughs> enjoyable fantasy show with nice characters and pleasant storylines and there's like a nice love story and they aren't siblings. Yeah. It's, it's quite, you know, yeah. like <laughs> I, I'm i happy that they didn't push it that far and they didn't try to make like gritty Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um because it's gritty enough. It's fine. It's yeah. the tone it needs to be. And you can see the production value as well, I think. That's one thing that's very clear. Like, you see yeah. the production value. Although there's some bits that are like, mm, but most of it, you do see it and you're like, oh, this is actually very well done. It looks very expensive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> expensive. I should hope. Some of the shots, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Any final thoughts? Oh, I'd like to, um, I'd like to make a prediction. Go on. I'm going to put my cards out. This is a bit of a out there one. But this Halbrand guy, I immediately thought, is this Sauron in disguise? But I feel like they cast, they already cast somebody as Sauron. So I'm going to say this guy, he's going to be the Witch King of Agmar. I'm putting it out there, putting the money down. Because Tolkien never said who that guy was. You know the main guy, the main Nazgul in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. who stabs Frodo? Mm-hmm. They never said who he was. Oh, so you and think Tolkien that this? You think that the I son think is this dude? The son, the Halbrand? No, no, the guy on the. Oh, raft. the Halbrand! I thought yeah, it might be he's the all kid. Like, wait, what kid? The a kid. He's like got the from theme. the village. Yeah. But wait, is that not taking taking place? 
at the same time or is it taking place at different times wait i don't know you'll i'll leave it to you i'll leave it i'll leave the predictions to you scholar okay so you reckon halbrand oh, is that the be... kid the kid is the witch king maybe i don't know could it be maybe that i think that could be there's my hundred to like... one bet <laughs> i feel like because halbrand is all like oh i ran away from something like he's clearly a and king. he's got something he's clearly... around his neck yeah, it's clearly an Aragorn situation mm. where he's like the lost heir of probably the people that in the Southlands had talked. He's white, his heart, he's got a beard, and he's got a story. He's clearly he's got, got some kingly. <laughs> but then I think they might twist it round, and instead of having him be like Aragorn and be the hero, he's going to turn bad yeah. and become the witch. Deconstruction. Ah. Because I know that Meat Pop and Mita has been dying to make that witch king sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have Tumblr at the time of the original Lord of the Rings movies, but for sure, if Tumblr was around, they would have been Hellbrand. They would have been thirsting. Hellbrand. Brand. Branding. Oh. Oh. There you go. Have we done it? Oh. There you go. Guys, that's what you come here for. Come back to us in how many weeks? <laughs> we'll find out the truth. Until yeah, then, in five years. <laughs> five years. <laughs> when they complete his It's been 84 years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. And tweet us at Fade to Black Pod if you have something you'd love to sh- us to shout out next week. Um, also, don't forget, you can buy our tickets and it's in the Spotify, the show notes, the link there, or you can find us on, on our Spotify. Facebook, um, Facebook, no, Facebook, lol. on our Twitter account, a uh, link to buy tickets to our live podcast on September 15th. Follow us. I'm at Hannah Flint or at Hannah and S Flint on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. And send me your rings of power theories if you think how brand is somebody else. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, but he's, he's the witch king though. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you shall not press skip. <laughs> 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 <laughs>